you are faithful and you are trustworthy. God, when we think that we can do it on our own, when we think that we can be good enough or say the right things, God, I pray that we understand the truth of your word, that we can't and we won't. But God, that you did. And that Jesus was on the cross and he died and he rose again for our sins. And that our righteousness is his righteousness. And that one day we will faultless stand before the throne, blameless and clean, not because of me, but because of you. God, you are the God we worship. God, you are worthy of our praise. May a song be a reflection of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Austin. Man, that's good stuff. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Um, praise God. Weak made strong. Man, I'm feeling weak tonight. I really am. And uh, I can't believe there's a room full of people and we get, to, um, we get to profess as a group of people uh, faultless before his throne one day for those who are in Christ. Man, that is heavy because I know myself and I know I'm not faultless. And, um, and yet through Christ... One day I get to stand faultless before the throne. I don't want to sing that and um, take it for granted, but I know I do all the time. So, Hey! Hey! How you doing? Good. We're not starting off heavy. We're, yeah, let's, uh, let's do this. Um, uh, just felt the spirit of God moving and started getting weepy, and we're good now. Um, okay, so my name is Ben. Um, like I said earlier, if you walked in late, I'm one of the young adult pastors here. I get to work with some incredible people at this uh, very imperfect but incredible church. Um, we're walking through the book of Luke. Uh, we challenged those of you guys who've been around, um, maybe you're checking us out, we challenged you to see what happens if you just walk through one book of the Bible and, and see what happens in your life. Uh, give, give God that chance. And so we put, picked the Gospel of Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book in the, uh, in the New Testament, about halfway through your Bibles, and we just decided, man, let's just preach it. Let's just get up here on Wednesday nights, make much of God, sing, praise him, and then let's just preach through this book and do what it says and and say what it says and see how our lives change. So that's what we're doing. No funny story. Sorry, guys. We're jumping into Luke. So Luke chapter 3 is where we're going to be. There's Bibles underneath the seats, too. So if you didn't grab one, if you don't have one, grab one of those Bibles. In fact, if somebody's got it open, tell me what page number Luke chapter 3 is on. 858? Thank you, Robert. 858. So uh, grab one of those Bibles, flip to page 858, um, and we're just going to see what the Word of God does tonight. What's gonna, how this is going to work is I'm going to read a little, and then we're going to stop, and we're going to say, okay, what does that mean for us? And I'm going to read a little and stop and see what that means for us. Verse 1. <clears throat> Verse 1. I, I love how Luke decides to start this chapter. He says this. He says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius... Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis and Lysias, tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of the God, God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Stop. The, let's just talk about how epic that opening sentence is. Like that's how this chapter starts. In the 15th year of the reign, 
Like, that's awesome right there. That is a great way to start a sentence or like when you're meeting people, like maybe you're back to town, maybe you got a new job. I want you to introduce yourself that way anytime uh, you do that. Basically, modern example, what he's doing is he's just, he could have just said like, in the 1980s, but instead he said all this. You know, he could have said like in the early 90s or he could have said in the reign of you know, Ronald Reagan, or in the reign of Bill Clinton under the governorship of George W. Bush, brother to Jeb Bush, while Garth Brooks was winning Grammys and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was famous, right? Like, he could have said that this person was born. So he gives us this awesome, awesome thing. I love it. Um, What he's doing is he's letting us know, he's letting us know this was a historical thing that happened in life, guys. This happened 2,000 years ago, and he's painting us that picture. He's not saying, hey, a long, long time ago in a land far away. He's saying, no, this was the guy in power, and he was brothers of this guy. Oh, that guy was over here, and this was a historical point in time. The two weeks ago, I got to preach on the first four verses of Luke. And why does he say he wrote the book of Luke? It's about Jesus and his mission. But why he wrote it was so that we might have certainty in what we believe and what we're laying our life down. He wants us to have certainty. This is a real thing that happened historically. I love those. I want somebody to put that on a t-shirt, this verse. <laughs> right? Like we've got the Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. Right? I want to see this on a t-shirt or on a mug like a massive mug that just wraps around, or a lower back tattoo. Just that right there. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, just right there on your, on your back. Odds, we'll play odds in the afterward afterwards to see who has to do that. Um, man, I love it. Okay, so that's what he's doing. He's, he's setting the stage. Luke is saying, I've set the stage. This was a historical moment. Look at verse 3. And he, talking about John the Baptist... And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. For as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Here's what's happening. Um, what Luke is doing right here is he is explaining in that little, that little reference from Isaiah, he's saying this was prophesied about from way back when. The book of Isaiah, you can actually look up this section. It's in Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament, right? Which These guys who are writing, the, the book of Luke was written in the New Testament period, but hundreds and hundreds of years before that, they had the Old Testament, man. They had this book, they studied it, it was their Bible, it was their word of God, and it was prophesying about one day our Savior will come. One day our Savior is going to come. So the first half of our whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. And in the book of Isaiah, Luke references, hey, when, when Isaiah said there's going to be somebody in the wilderness, crying out, paving the way, making, calling to repentance. This is it. This historical moment, which happened 2,000 years ago, this is the man, this is the time, which puts unbelievable weight and unbelievable authority on what John the Baptist is going to preach that we're going to dig into tonight. Luke is saying this is the one who, from eternity, God said it was his plan. There's going to be the one who proclaims, and it's John the Baptist. Um, Verse 3, what's he doing? He is proclaiming a baptism of repentance. That's what he's about to start preaching. He is, that is what he's doing in the wilderness, proclaiming this baptism of repentance. What, what is that? That's, that is such a, um, that's such a Christian word. 
Man, that's such a Christian subculture word that we throw around a lot. And if you didn't grow up in the church and you're not around uh, us a whole lot, it's great. I think you're coming in at a more fresh place for tonight and to hear what John the Baptist and to hear what the book of Luke has to say about repentance. Because I think for a lot of us who did grow up in the church and kind of got indoctrinated at a young age and we, we speak the language and we say all the churchy things, repentance just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. What is repentance? What does that really look like? What, what is real repentance in my life going to show up as? That's where we're going to camp out uh, tonight. We're going to see what real repentance looks like. So let me read this next section. Uh, it's like seven verses, so it's a, it's a good little chunk. I'm just going to read all the way through, and then we're going to go back, and we're just going to see what God says about it. We're going to see what he has for us, and we're going to see what he says about repentance. It starts in verse 7. John the Baptist. He said, Therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. It's a great way to draw a crowd, right? Just calling people out. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with one who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. And soldiers also asked, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations, and be content with your wages. Okay, let's unpack this. Uh, Let's hear from this book, God's Word. Uh, John is proclaiming, a baptism of repentance, but what is that repentance? If we were to simplify it, I'd say maybe even oversimplify it, we might define repentance as turning away from sin, right? I, you maybe have heard that definition before. It's kind of this turning away from sin. I think, that's, I think that's coming up short. I think that is oversimplifying what John is going to really unpack and the characteristics of what real repentance said. I think a better biblical definition that we're going to see and we're going to support here is a change of our minds, It's a change of our minds that I would say then leads to a change of action that I would say comes from a change of our heart. That is what repentance looks like. Now, I know that phrase is a big phrase, and it doesn't necessarily make sense, and it sounds itself very churchy. We've just replaced a churchy word for a churchy phrase, but we're going to get there. Um, First, I uh, I want to talk about a misconception. Uh, I think think we do this a lot. I think uh, I do a lot. I, I turn Christianity into this list, right? I've got this, uh, I've got over here in this misconception zone, by the way, that's where Brett plays. Uh, he's in the misconception zone. Uh, I've, I've got this, <laughs> sorry, Brett. Um, but if you know him, you get that joke. Um, I've got this list, right? I've got this list of, uh, of things I've got to do and not do as a Christian. So Christianity becomes about this, this list, the scale balancing, and I've got this book of rules, right? Misconception. Book of all these things I've got to do, and then all these things I've got to not do, and I've got to balance this list. And repentance might mistakenly be thought, oh, man, I did something on the don't list. Crap, I feel bad about that. All right, I'll try to do better next time. We have this, this list. God has a way he has designed us to operate. He has these 
guidelines, these, this law, this uh, obedience that he asks from us. Right? I'm not going to get up here and say, hey man, love wins, everybody's good, do whatever you want, uh, tolerance is the highest value, just do whatever you want and that's what love looks like. God says, hey, there is a, a way that I have designed you to operate and run and live your life in. And God's way, that, that list, this thing that we just minimize to a list, that is a good thing. God's way is a good thing. So when I, when I think about it in the context of the things that God asks me to do, as opposed to the things that God said, bin, run, and flee from, I need to recognize that this isn't about a killjoy God who just desires to, to man, knock off all the fun stuff, and then one day I'm going to get to cash in a ticket to heaven because I, I sacrificed a lot of fun here. God's way is better. It, it is what pushes me to have more and more life here. Not just life everlasting, but life here. Uh, let me give you an illustration. Last night, uh, my wife and I went to Fuzzy's. We met a couple of friends. It was actually a girls' night. I didn't realize it was going to be a girls' night. I thought it was like a big, small group, but it was just a bunch of girls that showed up. And uh, Charlie, my son, my almost two-year-old, which, by the way, his birthday is going to be a couple Saturdays. You're all invited. Um, So we'll get to that later. I think that's okay with my wife. Is that cool, babe? Okay, she gave me the old thumbs up. But inside, she's thinking, oh, crap. Um... So Charlie's about to turn two. So we're trying to get out the door to Fuzzies. It's Fuzzies, right? He's two. He loves Fuzzies, right? He loves, his favorite thing is dip. It doesn't matter what kind of dip it is. Just anything he can take food and dip into, he likes it. And so obviously Fuzzies is chips and queso. That's just what they are. And, uh, and so we're going to Fuzzies and he just is throwing a fit and doesn't want to get his stuff together and is just pouty and, and he doesn't want to go because he doesn't really understand that we're going to Fuzzies, right? Because he's two and he's not getting it. And I'm saying, hey, come this way. We're, I'm trying to guide you this way to something that I, because I have more perspective than my two-year-old son, know is going to be a good thing for him. He gets to be with mommy and daddy. He likes that. He gets to have chips and dip. He likes that. That's really all there is in his life. There's mommy and daddy <laughs> and chips and dip. He doesn't, he's not a very complicated person. And there's Curious George. He likes Curious George. And that's it. Um, and, and he gets to ride in the car. He gets to freaking ride in the car and eat chips and dip. Those are all things that he's passionate about. And I'm trying to get him, come on, Charlie, let's go. And he's throwing a fit and he doesn't want to go. And what I have for him is good. He doesn't have the perspective to think it's good because he's doing his thing and sitting there playing with his little cars on the carpet. And he's like, nah, this is what I want to do. But I have a larger perspective than he does. Same thing with his diaper, right? He doesn't want to, he doesn't want me to change his diaper, And yeah, I get it. Probably for the 32 seconds it takes to change his diaper, if it's a slow day for for me or or my wife, Danielle, then yeah, maybe it's a little annoying. He's got to sit there. He's got to stop doing what he's doing to change his diaper. But we know it is better for him because if he doesn't change his diaper, he's going to be in pain. He's going to be in pain. He's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be rash stuff happening and just growths and weird stuff is going to happen. We have a perspective that he doesn't have. When we talk about repentance and we talk about what we're repenting from. We're changing our mind that doing this isn't actually what God wants for us. And it's changing our mind and turning and removing and moving from that towards what God wants for us. We have got to walk into, as we define repentance, as this isn't stopping doing things that are a killjoy. Maybe it feels like that, right? Maybe this is, maybe this is your diaper moment. And you're like, but I, nah, I, just, I really enjoy doing this. I get it. Sin is attractive. Man, the things that are not of God are really attractive on the front end. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not, 
there, they, it wouldn't be a struggle. We wouldn't all, everyone in this room, including me, have temptations if they weren't really attractive and fun and there wasn't a part of us that really wanted the immediate gratification of whatever that sin is in front of us. What repentance is, though, and a root understanding that we've got to have a framework for, for tonight is that choosing God's way over our way, turning from what we wanted to do to what he has designed us to do, to give us joy, to, to give us joy and to, to bring glory to himself, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a thing we should want. It's a thing we should just crave and desire. And kicking and screaming at times because my flesh is so weak, I should, I should change my mind and wrap my mind around this is a good thing. So we need to have that context over, uh, over tonight. And then, man, then as we look at this, list, right? We look at these things that we maybe have been called to stop doing in our life or maybe other things that we needed to start doing in our life. And we look at these urges of the Lord that he's asking us to repent from maybe apathy or he's asking us to repent from disobedience and step into them. That that's the gospel. And we apply the gospel there. And we recognize if, if we really realize it, this whole misconception, right? Remember the, the misconception over here of, well, man, can I tip the scales in my favor? The truth is we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all on the just don't list. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then we get Christ through what? Repenting and believing repentance and belief that these things that I've been chasing, this emptiness, I repent and believe that his way is better. And I believe and my mind shifts and I think, oh my gosh, this is bringing me death. This is bringing me life. I am changing my mind. Actions follow from a place of the heart. Uh, That's the context we've got to have. Repentance is a key, key thing in our Christian walk. It's going to bring us freedom. It's going to bring us life. It's going to bring us life everlasting. Um, So let's look close at some of the characteristics here in those seven verses I read. Um, There's three that I kind of want to tease out. The first, verse 7 and 8. I'm going to read it again to you. He said, John the Baptist, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then then listen to this very first part of verse 8. He says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. One of the characteristics, right, we kind of tried to define repentance, we're going to keep walking through that. One of the key characteristics of repentance is that repentance is constant. Repentance is constant in our life. Repentance isn't something that we do one time. We come to renovate that one night and we say, man, I'm convinced I'm going, to, I'm going to change that. I'm convinced tonight that, yes, Spirit of God's moving, and I'm seeing that, and, I'm, and the Holy Spirit is convicting me, and maybe you don't know it's called the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're just feeling like, man, I don't, I'm supposed to walk away from this, and it's this one-time emotional thing, or maybe as a kid you repented and you, you know, walked an aisle or whatever that looked like when you put your faith in Christ, and we think of it maybe as a one-time thing. If we are mature in our faith, repentance is constant. It is daily. It is moment by moment. Uh, Martin Luther, um, he was a pretty big deal. Uh, Martin Luther said, uh, he said, all of the Christian life is repentance. He defined the entire Christian life and said, this whole thing, this whole thing is just repentance. Uh, John Owen, one of my favorite authors, he said, my daily business is repentance. So he, he, every book he reads, he talks about, man, you got to be killing your sin. You got to be walking away from that. You got to, this repentance idea isn't this thing that we say, you know what? All right, I buy, into, I buy into God's way. Check that box. 
brothers and sisters, guys, people, women, strangers in this room, out of love, I want you to hear this. God is saying his mercies are new today. And then he's saying, repent and believe today. What are the things in your life right now that you say, man, I've, this, I've, this is my idol. This is, this is what I'm worshiping. This is where I'm finding my identity, my joy. What are those things? And he's saying, repent from that. And here's the, here's the tricky part. Tonight, we're going to leave some, some runway at the end of the service to just allow you to stay in here and pray if you want to. You can go hang out and talk all night if you want to. But if you just want to stay in here and do some business with God, we're going to do that at the end of worship. Um, but then here's the crazy thing. Tomorrow morning... Tomorrow morning, I'm, I am prone to wander. Man, I am prone to wander. My default, my default setting is sin. That's where I go. My default setting is sin. And so tomorrow morning, I've got to wake up and say, God, this life is not my own. Your way is better. May today I walk out repentance in my life. This change of mind to choose what is better, not choose these dirty diapers and, and worldly things and things that I know actually don't bring me life, don't bring me joy disobedience in you. Even if I can't necessarily see that immediate gratification fruit, constant, every day in our life. Let's look at another characteristic. Repentance is necessary. Repentance is constant and repentance is necessary. Verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Um, man, we don't, I don't, I don't see the need in my life. I could sit here and, and preach about, oh man, repentance is constant. It's got to be this constant thing. I've got to be constantly vigilant in, in finding these areas that I keep walking back to and repenting from them. But the reality is, I hide my sin really well. And I, I hide it from people well. And I hide it from myself really well. And the reality is, um, I don't know that I really understand the need I have for it. There is an entitlement in me. Uh, one of the things he's saying here is he's talking to Jews. And he's saying, you guys say, well, we got Abraham as our father, so we're good. And what he's saying is he's, he's pushing back against a culture of faith. There were a lot of people in that day, and this would never relate to Fort Worth, Texas, but there were a lot of people in that day from a geographic region that was like, yeah, yeah, I grew up around this, I'm good, right? My parents were Jews, my grandparents were Jews, and so they, you know, I just, I'm a Jew because Abraham is our father, and so I'm good because I'm in the right, I'm in the right place, I'm in the right spot, I come from the right family line, we, did the, we went to the synagogues on the holidays and for the festivals, and that is so epidemic in our culture too. Uh, this cultural Christianity that we have bought into. And some of you guys, maybe by the grace of God, I don't know, I mean, I'm going to raise my son in a Christian home and indoctrinate him early, but he's still got to have a personal relationship with Christ. It's still got to be a, a personal, genuine relationship. And for those of you guys who didn't grow up in that atmosphere, and, and you're like, dude, Christians are freaking weird in this city. I know, we are. We make coffee cups that have weird scriptures on them. We get weird back tattoos with Galatians 2.20. Um, it's this cultural Christianity that we buy into. And, and I, think, I think that happened in this room, right? We show up and we think, man, we're, we're doing good. We're, we're patting ourselves on the back. We show up to church. We do the thing. We punch our card. Is there real awareness of how much we need Christ? Is there real awareness of how broken we really are? Even those who are in Christ, right? We, 
we take that confidence that we have in Christ and we're like, all right, I'm good. I'm going to go worship and feel good about myself. But do we really feel broken? Do we sing lyrics um, like stand faultless before the throne and think, what the heck? That is impossible. How in the world could I stand faultless before the throne? I know myself. I know who I am and I am not faultless. I am, I am aware of that. I desire to mature and become even more aware of just how faultless I am so that then I might repent from that and walk in righteousness and know that any righteousness, any way that I get to stand faultless before the throne is not because I did something, because I lived a good life, I got a job at a church and I you know, was a nice guy and grew up in the Bible Belt and did, did the list right. It's because of Christ, Jesus, and his perfection. And the only hope I have, the only hope I have, is to say, you are it. You are the one way of salvation in life for me. And you have graciously said that your righteousness can be on me. To where when, to where when God looks at my life and he's flipping through the book, he's thinking, oh, okay, walked on water. Cool, Ben. Uh, okay, you fed 5,000. That's pretty sweet. And he sees the life of Jesus in my resume as opposed to my resume, which is prideful, self-worshipping, struggles with lust, struggles with self-worship, struggles with um, you name it, right? The list goes on and on and on. But instead of seeing that, it gets clothed because of Christ and his perfection. And I surrender and repent from that and say, Lord, you have accepted me. I didn't earn it. You have accepted me. Now I want to live in response to that kind of obedience. Do we really recognize our need for that? And if, if you're in here, man, and you're thinking, um, you're feeling, gosh, I really wish so-and-so was here to hear that tonight. Like, man, I really, um, gosh, this is good for, man, this is going to be, I hope somebody else really, I'm going to tell somebody else to listen to this and they put it up later online on the World Wide Web. I'm going to really, man, I'm going to sell this later. Um, that's great. You should spread the gospel to other people. You should encourage other people to listen to the gospel. Um, but man, are you applying this to your life? Do you see how absolutely, absolutely necessary repentance is for you tonight, this evening, in this room, to go before the Lord and say, Father, there's some things I need to repent from. And if you don't, I want you to take heed and grab hold of this book and see what John the Baptist's cry was against the cultural faith at the time who just thought, no, nah, I'm doing pretty good. And he said, stop and grab hold of yourself and say, Lord, would you show me? Would you show me just how necessary repentance is? Would you show me how far I am for you so that I can really, really, really appreciate, worship, celebrate the grace that still says I'm faultless? Help reveal that sin. Maybe it's self-righteousness, right? Maybe it's self-righteousness. Maybe it's, you know what it is. I don't need to list them. Holy, you, got, you feel that tug that's saying, man, this is, this is me. Um, it's... Uh, it's um, Constant, it's necessary. Verse 10, and the crowds ask him. So now they're, they're starting to respond to this sermon from John the Baptist of repentance. And they're saying, man, you've got to tell us what this is. You've got to give us more traction, right? You've got to really show us what this is. They say, what, what shall we do then? And he answered them. He says, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. And then tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. And then in verse 14, this third group of people, soldiers, also ask him, And we, what shall we do? 
And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. Repentance is constant, it's necessary, and repentance is action. True repentance, true repentance is action, guys. Um, When they come to him and they hear this sermon of, don't be entitled, keep repenting, bear fruit of repentance, and they say, okay, what shall we do? What does he, he gives them incredibly tangible action steps, individualized for where they're at in their life and their, their role and what they're doing in life. And he says, there should be action here. If you, um, man, if you have two tunics, then what you need to do is you need to give with someone else. And what he's doing is he's identifying selfishness. Right? He's identifying that there is, a, there is a culture that says, no, no, I'm going to store it for myself. And he's saying that's sinful and selfish. And we have to apply that. I think I mean, we can real practically just take that and say, how do we spend our money? I and mean, we could get into a whole other sermon where we really break down how do we spend our money, how do we love. That's a whole other. If we just look at the general principle and the characteristic that he's showing us of repentance, it is action. There should be action married to your repentance. And let me go on a rabbit trail real quick. Um, look at the fact... Look at the fact that he doesn't say change jobs, right? Like tax collectors, who tax collectors at the time were, were known to be wicked people. They were people that were partnered with a tyrannical government, uh, the Romans, who had martial law over, over their own people, and they were basically stealing from Jews and giving them to the government that was oppressing and putting in slavery the Jewish people. And this is a Jew who works for the Roman government is taking money from his brothers and sisters and giving it to the enemy, right? Tax collector. And a tax collector comes and says, okay, I'm ready to repent. What do I do? I think it's insanely profound that John the Baptist doesn't say, stop being a tax collector. Don't be that. Same with the soldier. Right? Soldier who was of the army that had occupied their country. What, what do I do? He doesn't say, stop being a soldier and just come and look like me. Right? Come and just join the local ministry. He says he doesn't. He allows them to keep doing what they're doing. He encourages, he doesn't say anything about don't be a tax collector, don't be a soldier. He says, be a tax collector who is righteous. He says, be a soldier who is righteous. Be a tax collector who doesn't collect more, who doesn't steal from the people, which was kind of unheard of because that's what they did. And he says, be a soldier who isn't extorting people because that's what they did because the Roman, they, they didn't actually get paid enough to make ends meet, but they had a lot of muscle with them and so they kind of extorted to make ends meet because they got a little pay and then they were like, all right, I'm going to steal from people because I, I'm a soldier, I can do whatever I want. And he says, don't do that. Be content with your wages Repentance looks not like, man, I need to quit what I'm doing and I need to go do what Ben and Tyler, I need to, I need to get a job at a church and that's what real repentance looks like. And, and if you ultimately repent, then you'll end up working at a church somewhere. That's not what he says. He doesn't call them out of that workplace. And I think for the audience we're talking to, of a bunch of young professionals or college students who are going to be young professionals one day, who most of you are in a workplace somewhere, how is the gospel, how is repentance, how does your life look different from all the other people you work with? How do you operate in a way that has contrast with the culture you're working in? Now, what's that looking like for you? There should be action attached to this idea of repentance. Um, Do you have it? 
right? How do you know if that repentance is real, right? We might show up and um, we might say, okay, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing, I'm going to stop doing what I know God's calling me out of. Uh, how do we know that that's real repentance? Because it's not about just being sorry for ourselves. It's not about showing up and saying, man, I feel really bad that I did this. Mm, gosh, I'm sorry, God. I really am genuinely sorry. It's a life change. How do we know if that happens? Look at your life. Look at the actions in your life. And even tonight, look, track record. Man, how are you doing in the things that you're trying to repent from? And let me tell you, this is, this is hard. This, is, this is, takes the work of the Holy Spirit. This takes spiritual discipline. This is a hard thing to do. And so you might see your life and say, well, yeah, I repented from that. Is there fruit of repentance? What was it? It was, it was uh, verse 8. He said, and the fruit of repentance. Is there fruit? And sometimes it takes a while for that to show up on a tree. But if your roots are planted in that soil and you're, and you're walking in obedience, then there's going to be fruit. Um, real quick, before I wrap up, I, I want to ask the question, how do we? How do we do this? Right? We, hopefully we recognize it should be a constant thing in our life. It wasn't just a one-time deal. Hopefully we, we come face-to-face with our absolute need to repent in our life. And if, if we don't think we have need, then that's your need. You're self-righteous. And you're blind. So find somebody and say, tell me what it is. I'm blind. I can't see it. And third, there's action. How do we repent, though? With the gospel. Without applying the gospel to the roots of our sin, we cannot adequately deal with our sin. Let me say that again. You know, that's a kind of churchy phrase. Without applying the gospel to the roots of our sin, whatever it is that we're stuck in, we cannot adequately heal, free remove that sin from our life. Um, here's how that works. I, uh, I, look at, um, I look at my life and I, I see these things that I'm ensnared with. And rather than saying, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to really suck it up and just start doing better. I'm just going to really set some uh, good behavior modification to where I, I stop doing this. I'm not saying that boundaries aren't good or accountability is good. All of these things are a pathway to get us there. But if that's what we do, without it being gospel-centered, which we'll walk through in a second, then what we've done is we've just become legalists. Right? That's, the, that's the seminary word for it. We're just doing the right thing. We've just modified our behavior, but our roots are still entrenched in that. The gospel is that I am broken. I am dead in my own trespasses. I look at my sin and I don't say, oh gosh, that is not me, man. That's, gosh, I'm really surprised by that. I say, that is me. I owned that. That is, that owns me, but no longer. Because the death, burial, and resurrection of the historical Jesus Christ frees me for that. And something that happened in history that we are certain of, historically, this man, Jesus, came around, and now the evidence has lined itself into our life the last 2,000 years, has said, I say yes to that, and I say that's where I find my righteousness. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I don't try to walk out and become a better person. Man, I applaud the person who shows up to church and renovate and whatever you show up to, to try to become a better person. But I'm telling you right now, as a pastor, I think it's going to be exhausting for you, and I think if there isn't a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that came from you surrendering to him and saying, God, I'm trying to do this on my, on my own. Even my good works I'm trying to do on my own. If you don't surrender that into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then I think you're going to be trying to do this Christian thing and show up to church and just become better and become more moral. I think not only is it going to be exhausting, but I think at some point you're going to say, screw this. This is exhausting. It is not life-giving. 
There's not joy in this. This is drudgery. And our church is filled with those people. And the rest of the world sees those people wearing the name badge Christianity and they say, what a hypocrite. And I'm a hypocrite too. But they say, man, they look at that person and they say, golly, I do not want that. If you're in this room and that's, and that's where you're at tonight and you're just, man, I'm just showing up. I'm just trying to get a little better. Here's my challenge for you. Here in a little bit, the guys are going to come back up and they're going to worship in just one minute. Um, we're going to go back into some worship and some music. And um, I want you to talk to the Lord, man. If you've never done that before, I, want you, I just want to challenge you to say, God, um, if you are there or this God that you feel tugging at your heart or poking at you or this maybe God that you knew of your childhood and your youth and you've walked away for a while, I want more of you. If, if you feel that tug and that conviction that says, I have been walking around in my dirty diaper for way too long because I thought that's what I wanted, but the reality is, man, I know what it has brought me. God, give me more of you. Give me more of you in the name of Jesus. Reveal yourself. And then, man, here's my other challenge, and, and that's, um, that's hard, but I think it's something you're going to be able to do in your seat tonight, and I really challenge you to do it. But then come and find somebody in this room who you know loves Jesus. Come and talk to me or Ryan or Tyler or any of the guys on stage or uh, find a, a a godly woman, a godly man in this room and say, hey, will you take our email and email us and say, man, something about last night hit me. Um, man, will you walk with me? Will you show me more what it looks like to have a personal relationship with Christ? Man, I, I want that step. I want to take that step of repentance, but I also realize it wasn't a one Wednesday night thing. I realize it's going to be a constant thing. I don't know how to do that. Man, let us walk with you through that. That is my, the joy of my life, the people I get to work with. That is the joy of their life to do that. Uh, let us walk with you. Find somebody who you know. And man, for, for the person in this room that is feeling like, I really hope that that, that non-Christian guy heard this message. What is God asking you to repent of? What is it tonight? And turn that over to him. And have that change of mind to say, this, this thing that I've been holding on to, and that's, not what, that's not God's way. I know it's not God's way. He's revealing it either through his word, through his spirit tonight. I'm going to change my mind, and that's going to lead to a change of action. It's going to lead to major change of action. Maybe it means, you know, getting rid of Safari on your phone, right, if, if that causes you temptation. Maybe it's a relationship you're in that you know is just based and built around sin, but it's fun and it's easy and it's comfortable, and it's like, no, but God's calling me to something better, and His way is better, and although it's going to be painful in the short term, it's going to be good in the long term. Or maybe he's calling you to be obedient in an area that you're not being obedient with. What does that look like in your life? I challenge you to repent. He is better. Whatever it is, he is better. And let me pray over you. Father, we love you. We are um, so grateful. Uh, Lord, we, we see this sermon that John the Baptist preaches, and he preaches it to pave the way. Um, to pave the way for... Uh, for you, Father, um, he, uh, you came and you sent your son and you, um, you hung on that cross for us. And Lord, now there's grace for the most wretched sinner. Uh, there is grace. And Lord, um, it's not going to be because of a sermon that we get convinced of that. It's going to be because of your spirit. So anything that's happening in this room, God, uh, that's moving in that direction, you get credit for. Uh, and Lord, would your spirit continue to move? As we go back into worship and we celebrate who you are and we sing of how great you are and we, we raise our voices and we get excited about 
how beautiful and, and incredible you are and how there's no one better than you, Lord, would you continue to do business with us tonight? Continue to so graciously show us, Ben, you've been, you've been playing in a dirty diaper and I have something better for you. And then it's not guilt and shame that's dragging us back to the cross, but it's life and grace. And you're not the father with crossed arms who says, man, you better get your crap together. You're the father who's waiting on the porch for us to return to welcome us in. That is the face of you, our God, our father. Is that the face that we would celebrate and respond in worship to in the name of Jesus Christ? Amen. Good job. 